Amen. Let me invite you again to Matthew chapter 4. We're talking today about fish. Jesus is going to be walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to have some conversation with some fishermen that's going to change their lives. And as I think about my life in ministry, I've had many conversations with people over the years. For example, I remember conversations with people to say, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your loved one didn't survive. As I think about pastoral ministry, I've had conversations with people in ministry. These conversations, some were joyful, some were painful. Joyful in the sense, I encourage you, you're, you're serving well. Painful, you're not serving as effectively as you could be. I think about over the years, all the gospel conversations the Lord's allowed me to have in our country, but in countries around the world, and I pray that I will have many, many, many more gospel conversations in the days ahead. I think about individuals that I've sat down with and had conversations with who were dealing with the call of God in life. What does it mean to be called of God? What does he expect? What should I do? How do I know God's will in life? And then you walk with them through that and just say, here's how some uh, things that you can help know the will of God and what's he calling you to do. And as I think about also, there was a conversation that I went back uh, in my mind this past week. I remember sitting down with my dad. My dad's in heaven now, but I remember sitting down with him one day. I was sitting on a couch. He was sitting on a love seat. And I remember talking to him to say, Dad, I want you to know that my life is getting ready to go in a different direction. And he asked, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, God has called me into Christian ministry. And I want to be obedient to the leadership of Christ. He's calling me to be a pastor, a preacher. He's calling me to prepare. So I want to be obedient to him. I'll never forget that conversation with my dad. And I just encourage you as a conversation in this sermon, in the room and those who are watching, I just encourage you this, whatever God asks you to do, always be obedient to him. Don't delay, don't procrastinate, be obedient to him because the truth of the matter is when we look at God's word, delayed obedience is disobedience. Obey him. So whatever the Lord asks you to do today, Obey the leadership of Christ. Surrender your life to him. Do so immediately as we see these two sets of brothers. They didn't wait. They didn't negotiate. They didn't procrastinate. They obeyed the Lord's leadership immediately. We know from God's word, when you think about this idea of fish, there are many stories in the Bible about fish. For example, we know Jonah was swallowed by a great big fish. It's, it's amazing to be in the city of Joppa. We know that Jesus saw a multitude of hungry people one day in John chapter 6, and he fed them with loaves and fish. In John chapter 21, Jesus was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples were getting around him. He had this charcoal fire going, and he fed those followers of his, again, bread and fish. And then here we are in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which gives me cold chills to even think about that because that's one of my favorite places on the planet to be at. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. He's going to have a conversation with them. It's going to change their lives. And Jesus is taking someone in the fishing business, and he's going to change their lives to be fishers of men. 
Now, there's some health experts in the room, and many health experts say you need to eat fish several times a week in your life. There's nutritional value because of omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin D. There's also this benefit of sleeping well if you eat fish. There's also nutritional value to say that you're also going to be able to fight depression and emotional issues if you eat fish. Fish is easy to prepare, but also it's going to help reduce any kind of a heart issue or even stroke issue. There are advantages to eating fish. Well, Jesus, again, here by the Sea of Galilee, singled out two sets of brothers, going to have a conversation with them about fishing for men. And then here we are today worshiping in this sanctuary or online. And the story is as relevant today as ever. What does this story mean for you and me as we think about our lives and what Jesus is calling us to do? So walk with me through this text. Number one, Jesus still sees. As I look at the word of God and think about the New Testament, I believe Jesus had incredible eyesight. And here's why, again, he's the son of God. He's perfect, there's no doubt. But when I think about Jesus, here's what he was able to see. I'll give you just a few of these. One, in Matthew chapter 21, he saw the temple being misused, saw it with his own eyes. In Luke chapter 19, he's standing on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem. He's weeping over the city. He saw the lostness in the city of Jerusalem. And we also know in the life of Jesus that in John chapter 6, here he is again wondering how they're going to feed all these people. He saw a multitude of hungry people and he had compassion on them. He was going to meet their need, the need for food. Jesus saw those hungry people. In Matthew 26, kind of at the base of the Mount of Olives, he's in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He is praying there with his inner circle. He's asked him to pray with him. And what does he see in that garden? He sees his inner circle, his closest followers. Instead of praying, they were sleeping. He saw them with his own eyes. And he asked him to be careful about temptation. You need to be praying, not sleeping. And then here we are in Matthew 4, walking again beside the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. He's going to have a conversation with them. It's going to change their lives. And so Jesus saw them and he noticed them. Instead of fishing for tilapia, they're getting ready to take fishing to another level. And they're going to be fishing for people. It's about the gospel. It's about salvation. It's about Jesus changing lives. Now in our day, what does Jesus still see? So I want to give you these words you can write in. Number one, he sees people. I would imagine there are people in the sanctuary and there are people who are watching. And you look at your life and you feel like no one sees you. You feel like you're all alone in life. And you might even say as well, no one is aware of the pain and the emptiness of your life. No one sees you in life. Well, I want to encourage you to lean in. And I want to give you three words that I want you to write down somewhere on the outline because these three words are critical when you look at Matthew chapter 4 and you think about your life and my life. And here are these three words. Jesus sees you. He saw Peter and Andrew. He saw James and John. But I want you to know he sees people. He sees you. Second word I'd encourage you to write in is pain. There are people in this room. There are people who are watching. I know this. You're dealing with physical pain. 
There's just something in your physical life not right. You're trying to get answers. You're seeing physician after physician, but there's still pain in your life. There are people in this room and watching. You're dealing with relational pain. There's some relationships that are strained and dysfunctional. You're desiring for them to be reconciled, but there's still pain in those relationships. There are people in this room and watching. You're dealing with emotional pain. You're dealing with depression, anxiety, all the emotional issues that you can imagine. A lot of pain in your life over those. There are people in this room. You're dealing with vocational pain. You may be off work tomorrow because of a holiday, but there's already this pit in your stomach. You dread going back into the workplace this week because there's pain in the workplace for you. And then there are people in the room and watching. You're dealing with financial pain. You've got the bills coming in. You struggle, you struggle, you struggle to say, how are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to pay these bills? I want you to understand again, Jesus sees you and he sees your pain in life. Word number three is the word potential. Jesus sees people, he sees pain, but he also sees potential. When we look in the word of God, we see the life of, of David. A man after God's own heart, shepherd boy. His brothers looked at David and they said, you're just a shepherd boy. But when God looked at David, he didn't just see a shepherd boy. He saw a king, somebody with incredible spiritual potential. God saw David's potential. Think about the life of Gideon we see in the book of Judges. Gideon considered himself the least of the least in life. But how did God see him? God didn't see the least of the least. God said to Gideon, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior in life. And then we look around and we see these fishermen, Jesus beside the Sea of Galilee walking. The Bible says he saw Peter and Andrew. And then on down it says he saw James and John. He saw them. Many people looking around said, these guys are just fishermen. They understand how to fish, but that's about it in life. But when Jesus saw these two sets of brothers, he saw the potential. He saw them as leaders in a spiritual movement that would change life and change the course of history. You may look at your life today and other people around you may look at your life and if they were commenting about you or maybe you would say about yourself, when you look at your life, what do you see? And you say, well, I just see failures and flaws and weaknesses and I've wasted years of my life. That's what I see. But again, I want to encourage you today to lean in and please understand what I'm getting ready to say. Jesus sees people. He sees pain, but he sees potential. You have potential in the eyes of Jesus Christ. If you'll surrender your life to him, give everything of your life to him, give all to him, you can be a godly person in your family. You can be a godly leader in life. You can be a godly servant in this church. You can be a godly businessman in our community. You can be a godly student in your school. He sees people. He sees pain. He sees potential. He saw these two sets of brothers, fishermen, working hard, one mending their nets, they'd been fishing, and he saw them and said, you've got potential. I'm going to use you in ministry that would change your life, change the lives of other people. What does Jesus do? One, he still sees. Number two, Jesus still invites. I want you to think just a moment because, again, he's walking by the side of the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two sets of brothers. The Bible says he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter Andrew, his brother, casting in that in sea. So they were fishing. On down, he saw James and John. They were mending their nets. They'd already been fishing. They were wrapping things up for the day. And then it says he called them. He invited them. 
There's something he wanted them to do. Now, I want to encourage you to think about the invitations you've had in life. Many of us get invitations. I I mean, I've had invitations. Some invitations are a blessing. You're invited to the wedding. That's a great invitation. You're inviting, we're going to give you a raise. That's a great invitation. Some invitations can be a burden. Hey, I'm inviting you to another meeting. Some of us would say, we don't need another meeting in life. Some invitations can be a blessing, some a burden. Think about some of the invitations you've received. I thought about that this week, and I thought about one invitation. I'll never forget on a Friday night, the first invitation that ever came my way for me to preach in a pulpit on a Sunday morning. And folks, I don't ever want to get over that invitation. It came on a Friday night. Ange and I were so excited about the invitation. We got in the car and drove out to the church, Poplar Springs Baptist Church. We couldn't go in the building, but we sat in the parking lot. We were super excited for that invitation. I don't ever want to get over the passion and the enthusiasm of being asked to fill the pulpit to preach the word of God. And then I remember another invitation. It was on a Sunday afternoon. I was checking email that afternoon. Got an email from someone inviting me to a meeting at the White House. And I told Angie, I said, I've got a fake email. I mean, who would invite me to come to the White House for a meeting with other pastors? I said, I would have nothing to contribute in that meeting. I think it's a fake invitation. Well, come to find out it was a real invitation. Think about some invitations you've received in your life. And in standing beside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is getting ready to issue an invitation to these fishermen that will change their lives and the lives of other people. Now, when he invites us, what is he going to do? Let me give you some words. First word is come. This is a major word in the Word of God. Isaiah 55 begins with this word, come. Revelation chapter 22, what do we say? If you're thirsty, you come. Come, Lord Jesus. It is a major word in the Word of God. Now in the ESV, it doesn't translate that way. But in other translations, when Jesus is beside the Sea of Galilee, sees these two sets of brothers, what does he say? He says to them, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He is inviting them to leave everything and come to him. The good news is today in the room and watching, if you need to be saved, I appeal to you, come to Jesus Christ. He'll change your life. If you need to find direction in your life, you're at a fork in the road. Am I going to the right or to the left? I challenge you, come to Jesus Christ. He will make your way straight and clear. If you need healing in your life, I encourage you, come to Jesus Christ. He is the great physician. As you and I think about the Word of God in in Matthew chapter 11, what did Jesus say? Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you are out of energy. You need to come to Jesus and let him give you rest. Come to him. That's an invitation for you and for me is to come. Word number two is the word follow. He said to these two sets of brothers, come to me, but also follow me. So Jesus called fishermen to come and follow him. He also called tax collectors to come and follow him. He picked people no one else would really pick. So fishermen, you come and follow me. Tax collectors, you come and follow me. He's still inviting you and me today. Come follow him. Yeah, when he saves you, you follow him. When he calls you into ministry, you follow him. When he asks to use you, you follow him. You make your life available. You come to him, then you follow him because he will never, never mislead you in life. He is the perfect son of God who will give you perfect leadership in your life. Come to him, follow him. Word number three is trust him. 
We see in this text, he said, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. These fishermen didn't know all the answers. They didn't understand the end of the story. They just knew he asked, come to me, follow me, and then you trust me. I just encourage you in the Christian life, you're not going to know everything. You're not going to know every step he's going to lead you. Somewhere you've got to come to the point where you surrender everything. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You come to him and you say, Lord, you've asked me to come to you and that's what I'm doing. You asked me to follow you and I've surrendered everything to do that. And Lord, I don't know where the next day is going to be at, but I'm trusting you because you are never going to let me down. You'll never mislead me. You'll never deceive me. You will give me perfect guidance and protection in life. I'm trusting you. Genesis chapter 12, we see the story of Abraham. God called Abraham to literally leave everything that he had and to follow him. And what did Abraham do? He obeyed that. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's how you and I need to be obedient to him. Yes, he sees us, but he invites us to come to him, follow him, and trust him. Word number three, Jesus still equips. As you think about Jesus, when he calls you and he sees you and he calls you, he is always going to equip you. He said to these fishermen, I will make you. I mean, he was going to do the equipping. He was going to prepare them for what was coming. As I think about ministry... God has used many things in my life to equip me. I wouldn't take anything from my days of seminary. I love sitting under godly professors who were teaching us about ministry and about serving Christ, being faithful to God's word, how to interpret the word, preach the word, and share the word. But then I look back again, and God put an Apostle Paul in my life, an older man in ministry for me, who walked with me, gave me experiences in ministry, gave me a lot of freedom in ministry. And here's what he would do. He would sit down with me and say, I want you to lead in this way. I want you to make the decision. And so he gave me a lot of freedom, a lot of openness. If he ever saw me going in the wrong direction, here's what he'd do. He'd say, let's meet together for a few minutes. I'd sit down with him, and he'd say, now, you're, you're going to make that decision this way. Why are you making that decision? And so what was he doing? He was equipping me for ministry. Now, if he saw me getting ready to go over the cliff and say, you're not, he, he would pull me by the shirt collar and say, you're not going to do that. And that's how that was equipping me for the work of ministry. I had a staff member one time, loved this brother in Christ dearly, but he sat down with me one day and he said, hey, I love you as a pastor. I respect you. Sometimes I don't know what to do in ministry. If you would tell me every week what you want me to do, I'll be glad to do it. And I called him by his name. I said, hey, I could do that. I could tell you every week what to do. But that's not equipping you for the work of ministry. When I equip you for ministry, I want you to be able to lead because one day I'm not going to be here to tell you what to do. And so you need to be equipped for ministry, trained in the work of ministry. That way, when I'm not here, you know how to lead. Yes, I'll always be available. We can talk. But I don't want you to be dependent on me. I want you to depend on Jesus in ministry, not simply me. That's equipping him for ministry. And so here Jesus says, two sets of brothers, I want you to come, I want you to follow me, I want you to trust me. And then Jesus said to them, I will make you fishers of men. What is he saying? I'm going to equip you to do what I'm calling you to do. Now here's the interesting part. When the Lord Jesus equips us and we come to him, we follow him, we trust him, and he leads us out, what are some of the benefits? What are some of the results? Look at these. Number one, no excuses. 
when he equips you, you just don't have any excuses. I'm amazed at how many people who say they know Christ, who are part of the church, but who refuse to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm amazed at how many people, when they think about the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them, give all these excuses to say, here's why I cannot serve Jesus. Well, I can't serve him because I'm too old. I can't serve him because I'm too young. Well, I can't serve him because I don't have an education. I can't serve him because I don't have experience. But you've got to understand, when you surrender your life to Jesus and you let him equip you, you don't have any excuses why you can't serve him. You just say, Lord, you, you, you see me, you've invited me, you've equipped me, I stand here, surrender, whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I will do it. Because you've equipped me to do that. So when you allow Jesus to equip you, you have no excuses not to serve him. Word number two is no fear. As you and I look at God's word, there are two words we understand for fear. One of those is healthy, one of those is unhealthy. And so when you think about healthy, church, we should always stand in awe of the greatness of God. That's healthy fear. We should always reverence him because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. Our God is awesome. He's amazing. So we should stand in fear of him. But there's an unhealthy fear, meaning I'm afraid to serve Jesus. I'm afraid to obey. I'm afraid to step out and trust him. I'm afraid to do this or that. When Jesus equips you, you don't have anything to fear. Sure, you may be nervous at times. I get nervous before I stand up here to preach. Doesn't mean I'm afraid, though. I trust him. I allow him to equip me. I come to this pulpit prepared. Yes, I stand in awe and reverence of him. But when Jesus equips you, you don't have anything to fear in life. The greatest, one of the greatest, most used commands in the Bible is what? Do not be afraid. I mean, he says that hundreds of times in God's word. Do not be afraid. So when he equips you, you, you don't have anything to fear in life. Word number three, no regrets. See, when Jesus equips you to serve in ministry, you don't have any regrets in life. You can come to the end of life. You can come to the finish line, and you come to the finish line regret-free in life. One of the things I love to do, and I do this often, I, I love to hang out with other pastors. I love to spend time with pastors who are retired, who are redeployed in life. And here's a couple of questions I will ask those pastors. It's interesting when I do that, I'll generally get the same answers from every one of them. And here are the questions. Number one, if you could go back and start over in ministry, what would you do differently? And number two, at this stage of your life, do you have any regrets from serving Jesus? I'll ask those retired, redeployed pastors that, and here's oftentimes, they'll pretty much say the same thing. Here's what they'll say. They'll say this, if I could do it over again, I would study and pray more, not less. And and they will say, if I could do it over again, I would take more time off. And here's what they say, if I could do it over again, I would spend less time in meetings. And then here's what many of them would say because they're a little bit older in life and they served in a different generation. Here's oftentimes what they'll say. I've had many of them say this with tears streaming down their faces and they would say this, if I could do it over again, I would spend more time with my family. Because here's their confession. I sacrificed my family on the altar of ministry. I would do it over, I'd do it again. 
You and I need to be faithful to Christ. He sees us. He's invited us. He's equipping us. And so as he equips you and me, you and I can come to the end of our journey, the end of our life, and we can look at it and say, Lord, I don't have any regrets. I served you well, and I finished well. Let him equip you in life and ministry. Number four, Jesus still saves. Here's good news this morning. Jesus is still saving boys and girls and men and women. People who are lost, who are separated, who've missed the mark, hearing the good news of Christ, hearing about his death, burial, and resurrection, he's still saving boys and girls and men and women. He'll save you this morning. He'll save you in this room, those who are watching. He's still saving, changing the lives of people. Now, when I go along in ministry, if there's one thing that kind of gets me down a little bit, it's when we don't see people coming to know Christ and being baptized. He burdens me about that. Why? Because I want to see people come to Christ. I want to see people being obedient to him in baptism. And then I want to see people growing in Christ as disciples. So when we go for weeks and we don't see people coming to Christ or people being baptized, yes, that spiritually influences and affects me. Because I know this, Jesus is still saving people. The gospel is still good news. He wants people to turn from their sin and put their trust in Christ. And so when you think about this, Jesus still saves. He's calling these two sets of brothers. He sees them. He's invited them. He's equipped them. Now it's about salvation because they're about gospel conversations and seeing lives changed. Again, they're not fishing for tilapia. It's for the souls and the hearts of people. He still saves. Look at these words. Number one, God's love. As you and I think about him saving, still about the love of God, please understand John three sixteen. for God still loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You and I will never look a person in the face whom God doesn't love. He loves every person in this room. He loves every person watching. You and I, when we meet people this weekend, he loves every single person we see. And you may look at your life and you go back and you say, sure, I see failures, flaws, mistakes, wasted years. That may be true of your life, but please understand, Jesus sees you and Almighty God loves you. God loves you and me. Number two, Jesus' sacrifice. As you and I think about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he left heaven, born in Bethlehem, lived a perfect sinless life, died on an old rugged cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, victorious. Jesus Christ, again, died and gave his life for us. He is the substitutionary atoning death for your sin and my sin. We can say this day with all confidence, Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid it all. And all to him I owe. Why? Because of God's love and the sacrifice of Christ. Word number three, Jesus' appeal. He's appealing to you and me that we would come to him, we'd follow him, we'd trust him. He's appealing to us, Zacchaeus. He invited him to come down out of the tree and follow him to his house. Jesus changed that man's life. He's still inviting you and me today to give our lives to Christ. Turn from our sin, the word repentance, and to surrender our lives and trust him to be our savior. He is still appealing for you and me to surrender our lives and follow him. And one of the things you and I should never apologize for 
whether it's in personal conversations or in a service like today, we should never apologize to giving an evangelistic pill to people to turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ to be your life. He is the only one who can save you, but give him your heart and your life. He will change everything about your life. We should never apologize for giving an appeal to follow Christ. And then number four is our response. Yet God loves us. Jesus sacrificed and gave everything for us. He's appealing for us to surrender our lives and follow him. But we have a response. You and I cannot stay neutral this morning. If you're in the room or you're watching, you can't stay neutral. You're either going to receive him or reject him. You'll confess him or deny him. You can run to him or run from him, but you can't stay neutral. You would do something with Jesus Christ today. The gospel always calls for a response. Worship is about response. He reveals himself to you and me, and then we respond to a holy, all-powerful God. Now, let me ask you these four questions to ask and answer. Look at these questions, and I encourage you to fill in the blanks here. Number one, do you know one person who needs Jesus Christ? One person. Family member, neighbor, co-worker, classmate, friend. Do you know one person who needs Jesus Christ? I had a funeral one day. And I just pray the Lord gives us a spiritual brokenness for people that we know in life by name, by face. Had a funeral one day for a lady and I was meeting with her family and I asked her son, I said, before the funeral, I said, can you tell me anything about your mother's relationship with Christ and her involvement in a local church? And this is minutes from the funeral. And her son looked at me and he said, there's nothing to share. I don't know anything about her knowing Christ. I don't know anything about her going to church. And then he looked at me and he said this, the funeral is not really for her, it is for us as a family. And I took the, the opportunity right there by the grace of God to love that family and to comfort them, but to share the good news of Christ. What about you? Do you know one person who needs Jesus Christ? I'd begin praying for that person. I would ask God for opportunities to share the gospel with that person. Question number two, when's the last time you had a gospel conversation? When's the last time you talked to another person about Jesus, his perfect life, his death, burial, resurrection? When's the last time you had a gospel conversation? I'd ask you a second question. When's the last time you tried? When's the last time you asked God for an opportunity? Just get up in the morning and say, God, will you give me an opportunity today? Send somebody across my path that I can have a gospel conversation with. Do you know one person who needs Christ? When's the last time you had a gospel conversation? Question number three, how is Jesus Christ changing your life? It's not uncommon in our Baptist churches. We'll see people walk down an aisle. We'll see them fill out a card and pray a prayer. But the problem is oftentimes we don't see their lives change. The conviction of the Word of God, when you see the New Testament, you see how Jesus works. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you follow Him, you give Him everything, everything about your life changes. I mean, life doesn't stay the same. He changes you and me in life. He, he, he'll radically transform your life. That's who Jesus is. And one night we're walking in the mall and, 
And you know, there's all sorts of stores in the mall. And then they have kiosks in the middle where people are standing out there trying to get you to buy something. And I generally try to look the other way and don't ever even make con- eye contact because I don't really want to deal with them too much. But we're walking in the mall that night, and this guy got our attention, and he asked Angie to come over there. And so I walked over there as well. He was selling some hair products, and he tried to get her to try this hair product. And I was a little offended. He didn't want me to try the hair product, but I was going to get over that somewhat. And so he said there, I want you to try this hair product. And then he made this next statement. He said this, if you will buy and use this product, and here's what he said. He said, this hair product will change your life. And I was, again, I got over my being offended pretty quick. And then I jumped into the preacher mode and I said, sir, in all due respect, only the gospel of Jesus Christ will change your life, not this hair product. So I want to make sure I got that out there because I was offended a little bit because you don't want me to try it. But I want to make sure it was about the gospel. The good news is Jesus Christ will change your life. Number four, what spiritual decision do you need to make today? Those two sets of brothers, Jesus saw them. He invited them. I want you to come and to follow me. And immediately they left everything and they followed him. He equipped them. He changed their lives. What the spiritual decision do you need to make today? I just encourage you, if you need to give your life to Christ, make that decision today. If you need to follow him in believer's baptism, you know Christ. You want to be public in your profession and baptism, obey him today. You want to join the fellowship of this church? Obey him today. He's calling you into Christian ministry. Yeah, you've got questions, but he's calling you. Obey him today. What spiritual decision do you need to make today? And so I want to encourage you. Our pastoral staff's going to be here in front. And if you're in the room, you can come this morning. We would love to pray with you and talk to you about following the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're watching online, you can comment to us on the platform you're watching. You can send us an email at the address you see. We will respond to you because we are here to help you know Christ and to follow him. And so I want to encourage us to bow our heads here for a moment. Because of who he is, you and I can know him and follow him and trust him and be used of him. And so with heads bowed this morning, I want to encourage us in this room again, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And if you need to give your life to Christ, I appeal to you to do it now. You need to be baptized, I appeal you, say yes to his leadership and be willing to obey. You need to join the fellowship of the church the balcony on the lower level, obey him today. Say yes to him. And God's calling you some way in your life that he wants to equip you and use you. Don't delay, don't procrastinate, obey. He took fishermen and used them mightily. He'll take your life and use you. Father, we thank you today again for the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you see us. Thank you that you invite us. Thank you that you equip us, and thank you that you use us to share the good news with other people. And so, Father, today in the room or online, I pray for spiritual decisions to be made today. People coming to you, not simply to us, but to you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for changing our lives and using us. Oh, Lord, we love you, and we thank you that we hear you, and thank you that you see us. And thank you, you invite us and equip us. And so in this invitation, Father, we draw near to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Let's stand together as we sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.